0: Have you been sexually abused and want to know what healing looks like? Do you need a release from inappropriate shame or freedom from feeling unworthy? In this two-part series, we will look at the stages of healing from sexual abuse such as the emergency stage, the remembering stage, the decision to heal stage, the believing it happened stage, and breaking the silence stage. The importance of knowing the effects that sexual abuse has had on a survivor's life is a key step in the healing process. In order to heal deeply, a survivor must choose to heal and must be willing to change. However you define healing or whatever reason you find yourself here, we want you to feel supported and encouraged as you follow the path of healing and begin to regain control over your life. Hey guys, welcome back to Not Just a Hashtag. I am your host, Nicole Escobar, and I'm here with my co-host and mental health counselor, Kristen Torres. Hey, Kristen, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Nicole, good to see you. So glad to be here.
0: So good to see you too. Um, Awesome. So we're going to continue to go on that same theme that we've been on, which is how do you heal from sexual abuse? And we looked at in episode 33, we just gave you a brief overview of how to do that and what steps to start taking some practical steps. And then in episode 34, we gave you some stages to look at, which is the stages of change. And we talked about why people have a resistance To change. I mean, we all struggle with it. I'm definitely somebody who struggles with change sometimes. And um, especially when it comes to healing from sexual abuse. And I think it was such an impactful episode that will really help you understand this next episode. And this is actually going to be a two-part series, and we are going to look at the stages of healing. All right, so let's get started into this episode. So I, we say this every time, just because there's stages, it doesn't mean that this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. What it means is find yourself in whatever stage you're in, you're going to find yourself in different stages during different stages of your life. And this is only to help you understand and normalize and help you kind of comprehend what you're going through. What would you what would you speak into this, Kristen, about these stages and how somebody may look at them as like one, two, three steps and how to not do that?
1: (laughs) Sure. I think that um, I would rarely describe any sort of process in regards to our emotions, our hearts, our healing as like a step by step process This is exactly what you do. and, And you're going to get to this final end result. I think that that can work well in business but not necessarily when it comes down to our hearts. Um, however, I think that it's also at the same time can be really, um, helpful and hopeful to know that others have gone before us in this process and have learned some things about how the process can look so that we have a bit of an idea of what's ahead. That's oh, what I, I love
0: that. That's great. Yeah.
1: great. Like, yeah. Still helpful.
0: Yeah. Love that. Okay. So um, I also probably don't say this enough and should say it a little bit more, which is if you're a survivor and you're listening to these and you feel triggered, we really want you to get professional help of some kind. So as I've mentioned before, Kristen is one of our in-house counselors. She's a part of a larger group. And there's counselors in that group. If you need help, give them a call. You can find all their information on our website. It's Hope Christian Counseling. But in addition to that, there is so many resources on our website that are free resources. If let's say you're not able, you can't budget counseling sessions. We have free options as well. So you can go onto our website at treesofhope.org forward slash contact us or it's treesofhope.org get help, both of those links will bring you to a spot where you can find information about who to contact for those free services that I just talked about. Okay. So the first one is of the stages is the decision to heal. This is where somebody recognizes the effect that the sexual abuse has had on their life. They want to make an active commitment to heal But the key to remembering in this specific category is that healing only happens when you commit to a process. And one of the litmus tests that I always recommend to the people who come into our group is if you can't even utter the words that you've been sexually abused, then maybe the healing journey is not what you're ready for. Maybe, and maybe Maybe going to a counselor is what you're ready for, but not going into a healing group environment where you know you're going to be around other survivors who need to who want to bounce ideas off each other and who help each other heal. Um, do you want to speak anything into that, Kristen?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I think that for everyone, it's going to look different, and that's okay. You know, um, whatever whatever that healing process um is going to look like for you it also is um may have different components to it like you may see a professional counselor um, you may start out with a healing group you may start out with just talking to a friend you know and eventually you see a counselor or eventually you get into a healing group for everyone that that may look different but i think it's just the point of starting somewhere something i was going to also mention is um the recognizing the effects of sexual abuse in one's life i think And that being one of the first parts of the process, you may not know all of the effects, but just to know that it's had an effect, that this is affecting you in some way is I think an important part of of starting that healing process. Yeah. You may not understand it fully and that's normal just to be clear.
0: Yeah. I can't even think of what I know now as opposed to what I did when I was walking through healing or at least came to the first initial group or came to my first counseling session, I had no idea the effects of it. I just was like, something happened to me sexually. That's all I could utter at that time. And then once we started to uncover the details of it more and years, it took me years to find out how much it actually affected me.
1: And that's very normal. Just to be clear, that is not, it's, we don't usually start out with um, knowing the full extent of things, um, or as far as like what the effect has been.
0: Okay. Okay. So then the next one is the emergency stage. So this is maybe where memories or suppressed feelings start to come to your mind and they can actually start to throw your life into a little bit of a chaos or into turmoil. This is only a stage though, it does not last forever. I remember being here and I felt overwhelmed, just so like, like I couldn't get these memories out of my mind, they were every, even when my husband would touch me, I would think about them. And I can tell you, it only lasts for a minute. And I I had to do the work, I had to do work to renew my mind, of course, and we're gonna get to that. But at the same time, you have to remind yourself, this is only a stage. And it's a lie, it's a lie that your mind will want to believe that it will go on forever. You have to slow down your thoughts and say, this too will pass. This too will have a silver lining or a positive thing come from it. But this is why we recommend having a mental health counselor. We're going to say it over and over again, that that's somebody that is trauma trained, that can help you fight those thoughts. And also, um, if a lot of people come to this stage and they want to give up, they don't want to continue on that healing path. And so having a mental health counselor can really help you go, let's work through it and fight that urge to give up. And this is also another stage and why we recommend you always have a support system in your life. If you think about, you know, everything that you've ever done in your life that's actually succeeded, I mean, I think for myself, I had a great support system around me when I passed college, when I got married, um, when I went through a difficult challenge with my husband and I, I had, I had a girlfriend that I contacted on a pretty regular basis that I talked through with these things that hold me accountable, that called me out on my stuff, that also reaffirmed some of the crazy thoughts I thought I was thinking, but ended up being normal feelings. And this is somebody that is your safe place. This is somebody you can be yourself with. And a support system is going to determine your success. We all need support. You need support. And you need to know that you're worthy of support.
1: Absolutely. And I think for anyone too that may be listening who says, like, I don't have it, I have no one to turn to. Like that may be where you're at in your life. That is, I think, one of the just um, beautiful things about what trees of hope does, sincerely, that um, you're able to get into a group. This is not about um, a popularity contest. This is people coming together to support one another toward healing. And so if you are that person who has, who can't think of a support person that you have, a safe person you have in your life, what a great um, place to start is to like, get into one of these groups where you're going to be um, with these other women that are trying to heal as well. And who probably have struggled with the same thing. I don't have a safe person in my life or I don't have a support person. I feel so alone right now.
0: Yeah. We, it says it throughout our curriculum. If you don't have that person, your group should be that person. And there is a, I know you may be thinking, well, like, I don't know these women and I I can't explain it. You may not know them. And I have to be honest, there's some groups I've had and I can't remember even everybody's name, but what I do remember is how they made me feel. And they made me feel safe and secure. They made me feel heard. They made me feel seen. They made me, even if, even if we don't talk now, they were there for me during that time. And it, and it felt right. It felt safe. It felt okay. Um, And they understood. And there's nothing better than looking up when you're talking and you're sharing your story or crying and somebody's crying with you or they go, I know I've been there and they can just relate. It's, it's amazing.
1: Yep. Agreed.
0: Okay, so the next stage is remembering. Many survivors will suppress their memories of what happened to them, especially if it happened to them as a child. Sometimes memories of sexual abuse come in fragments and they're unclear. I can attach to this so much that I don't remember exact every detail of what took place. I remember the moment it happened and I remember how I felt and I remember what I was wearing, which is kind of odd, but I do remember that, but everything else is such a blur.
1: Although I can say, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that um, it's something that I think is really important is that you do not, you don't, do not have to remember everything. It is okay. And I think trying to push yourself to remember every detail um, is, is counterproductive. It's not helpful. And even in therapy, that is not the goal. I don't think any therapist is going to do with you and uh, working with you is to try to remember every single detail. That is not a necessary part of the healing. I think you work with what you do know. And I, the other part of it is we really trust that God is going to reveal if there's anything else that we need to see or know. And I really trust that, that he's working in that process.
0: I love that. So good. And, you know, but if you do have memories and they're here and there, it is a indicator for you to look or investigate a little further. It's not just to ignore it or to minimize it or to act like it didn't happen and to push that thought out of your mind. I know Kristen, and you and I were just talking a little bit about um, minimizing. You want to speak a little into that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I know that we've talked before about um, knowing the facts that something happened, but basically kind of determining or telling yourself that it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't really affect me that much. Um, that is really typical too. Um, and I think it's a way of coping. It's not necessarily healthy in the long term, though. And that's where I think um, a willingness to explore a little bit more, especially with a safe person, um, can be really impactful. Because have you ever shared a story, and it could be a story of sexual abuse or something else, and you had determined that it wasn't that bad, it wasn't that big of a deal, and that other person's reaction was like, wait a second whoa, that is bad. That is a big deal. And it really changed things for you. So that's what we're talking about here. Sometimes in our own um, rationalizing of things, um, reasoning through things, and in order to sometimes survive, we determine that, again, not that big of a deal. Yeah, it happened. I know the facts of it. I feel nothing when I think about it. Again, those are very normal things. And a lot of that is just survival. Um, mm-hmm. and part of the healing process is actually to, um, allow yourself to experience the weight of what did happen and the feelings that are probably there that you just may not know how to access. But again, just like Nicole, you were saying, you need to have support in order to go through this. This is not something to shove yourself into um,
0: yeah. your Absolutely. So another thing to think about is you may start investigating and asking people in your family if they remember certain situations. One of the things that we just don't want you to do is don't take responsibility for their responses because their response may be, especially if your family has a tight lip about certain situations that happen in your family, let's say you're maybe some someone's dealing with alcoholism or drug abuse or anything like that, where they don't want that information coming out into the world. So they want to make sure they swipe it, sweep it under the rug. And then it's just not talked about because in their mind, they're thinking if it's not talked about, it's ignored and we won't bring it up and then never discuss this. I am so familiar with this because that is the MO of my family. And I have shared this on this podcast before. I have told my parents about my sexual abuse or I inquired more about what they knew. And they're like getting mad at me for that inquiry or sort of getting like, how dare you think that we would ever know about this and never did anything kind of attitude. And then that if I wasn't healthy or if I wasn't stable in my mindset, I would, that would have rocked me. That would have deterred me. From ever sharing my story again that would have it would have solidified what I've already believed which was you know that maybe I made this up or it would have done all those things but I did the hard work before I talked to them yeah. and so I know a lot of people don't do that they just jump to that and they just want to talk to their family about it because there's this newfound memory or this newfound yeah. feeling. And so it's in those where you need to remember that the responsibility of how they respond is not yours. It's theirs. Leave that to God. Let, that, let God deal with them, how they respond. And also, it doesn't change your story. You were, somebody violated you, no matter what anyone says. And the responsibility of the entire situation falls on the perpetrator who violated you. Nothing else. No one else. That's the, that's the story, period.
1: Did you wanna add something, Kristen? No, I think what you're saying is really good. Um, Yeah, and again, that's why I think it's so important to have support because this is such a sensitive time when you begin this process that sometimes, like you said, if you were to ask a family member um, and they were to have a really bad reaction, like why would you wanna know that or what's going on or what, you know, anything could be possible or you may be very surprised and they may be very supportive anything's possible, right? We know families can be complicated, but, um, yeah, that's, again, I just, I think the main thing that I just want to keep saying is that's why you have to have support because yes, it would be very easy to be really discouraged and think, oh, I should not go further with this or trying to deal with this because, you know, I'm getting pushed back.
0: Exactly. Okay. Then the next one is believing it happened. So this one's a little longer, because I have a little section from our curriculum that I want to read to you guys. But I have found and I have heard that most adult survivors doubt their memory or doubt their perception of what happened. It's, it's, this is one of the biggest chapters or weeks in our healing study that we offer. And coming to believe that the abuse really happened and that it really hurt and that it affected your life is a very vital part of the healing journey. Being sexually, This is from the curriculum. So being sexually abused almost always leaves its victims with a damaging set of false beliefs about their value and worth. When these false beliefs are held as absolute truths, they create mistaken guilt, destroy self-esteem, and assign undeserved responsibility. Sexual abuse victims struggle with four major false beliefs about their abuse. Now, there could be more but we have found that they fall into four major categories. The first one is it's my fault. As in something I did made this happen. Um, Could be, I know I hear a lot of women say, you know, I was wearing a skirt or um, my shirt was too provocative or my outfit, or I was drunk. Okay. So these are, these are thoughts that you think after the fact, not during, or not, not maybe before, like when you're getting dressed, like, you know, This is something I'm going to look for, right? People think after, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have worn that. Meanwhile, when you were getting dressed, you probably looked beautiful. And (laughs) that was not your intention. Number two is I must be a terrible person for him or her to have done this to me. Victims often hold themselves responsible for their relationship with their abuser. They feel positive feelings towards the person or if like, if it was a loved one, you, the person, the victim may have felt like I wanted their affection. I wanted their love. And so I did certain things and they um, sexually abused me. And so they, this victim will think that, okay, I must, I must have been a terrible person or I must not have been worthy of that love that I wanted. And so that's why I got this. That's why I was sexually abused. This can also happen if this is, you're the only one in the family who was sexually abused. Let's say you had two sisters or brothers and none of them were sexually abused by that specific person. But in this category, you have to allow the shame and guilt to fall on the people who committed the abuse By doing so, you will not be making them guilty. You will be recognizing the truth of their guilt. They are responsible for what they had done. It is not you. No matter how terrible you were or no matter how good you were, no matter who you were, no matter what situation happened, it was never your fault. That's not why they selected you. They selected you because something is wrong with them. The third one is I wanted him or her to do this to me. This is a false belief, especially if your body responded naturally. And so you have to remember that we were created in a certain way. We were created with our bodies to function in a loving relationship to respond in a very specific way. And I'm talking specifically if you enjoyed it, if you're stimulated, if you orgasmed, and a lot of times this will hold somebody captive for a long time because their body felt a certain way their It responded a certain way. Um, and now they think because it did that, I must've wanted it and asked for it.
1: Oh yeah. And, and this, yeah. This is significant. Yeah. yeah. Ahead, significant Meaning this ends up producing a lot of shame, but you're really right. Nicole, this is just, um, this is something that can be worked through is what I would say.
0: Yeah, it absolutely, all of these can, all of them can. Yep. Then the last one is, it didn't happen, I must have made it up. So with that one, you need to understand that if you have these false beliefs, they were learned. And so therefore, they can be unlearned, right? And so how can you unlearn false beliefs? Well, I always recommend, you heard me say it before, it's a renewing of your mind. And a renewing of your mind is basically taking accountability for your thoughts. And so there's four steps that we recommend. And the first one is recognize that false belief. The second is reject that false belief. The third is speak truth. And then fourth, repeat this process until you have a set of new beliefs that are that are actual truths. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an example just in my own life when we're using... Um, Number four, to renew my mind. In my older years, I convinced myself that I had made this up, that I had made up my sexual abuse and that I basically over-dramatized a situation that took place and that I imagined the sexual abuse part. So how did I work through that? Step one is, is recognizing the false belief. So what was that to me? I made it up. So step two is rejecting that false belief. So I rejected it by saying, you didn't make it up. It happened. You have memories to prove that it happened. Now, if I didn't have memories, I can still go off of other things. But thank God I had little fragmented memories of what took place. Number three is speak the truth. So my truth is, is that when I was six years old, I was molested by my neighbor. I just call it like it is. He touched me, he fondled me, he asked me to take off my clothes. I did that from there, he fondled me. And then my step four is repeating it until I believe it. Now, this can work with anything. And trust me, I utilize this when I'm, you know, fighting with my husband or I'm thinking a weird thought about somebody like one of my girlfriends, maybe feeling like they're shunning me or like being mean to me or something. It, it, it's helpful for anything. And it's good to reject. It's good to learn how to reject false beliefs in your life in general, because it will set you free. Do You have anything you want to add, Kristen?
1: No, I totally agree with what you're saying though. I think it's so important. And so um, this is very possible to change. You have to, to make that change though, you have to be really intentional on the front end and eventually believing what's actually true. And that being the more automatic thought, um, will become more natural. You don't. All, it, you won't always have to be so intentional, but it does require you to be this intentional at the front end to make the change.
0: Yeah, and I love what you just said there—that it will become natural, and it truly does. It yeah. truly, truly does. I can tell you that one of the things that I grew up with was—and I don't know why. I, I really don't, other than maybe because I was bullied when I was growing up. When I was growing up. Um, is when I have a set of girlfriends, I tend to think that I I'm very intimate. Like I really prefer to be like one-on-one with girlfriends or hang out in that type of setting. And so when there's a new girl that comes into the group and especially if I can tell that she's not like, she's got a wall up, my first thoughts are always like, is she talking about me? If you're not going to accept me, like when I leave, is she going to talk bad about me? And I don't, It. it's, It. it plagued me for a little bit. And as I've worked through this, I've recognized that that doesn't, I can stop that in its tracks pretty fast. Like I don't need to go, okay, step one, step two, mm-hmm. I will go, like, I'll meet, I'll meet this new person. Cause this just recently happened. And I'll say like, you know, I think she's talking about me. And then I'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. Why would she be talking about you? Like you didn't do anything. She doesn't know you. How could she, how can she talk to you? She may talk, but she doesn't know who you truly are. So how can she actually talk about anything knowledgeable about your character or who you are? Right. And then I say, you know, I like, I like you, Nicole, like you're great. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. That's all that matters. And like, it'll happen super quick. And so it'll take me out of the rut of thinking like, you know, somebody's talking about me.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You challenge the thinking. But like you said, it's not really, you're not having to be really intentional anymore. It's almost automatic to challenge that, that negative or false thinking. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. Then the next step is breaking. I'm sorry. I said step. And what I meant was stage. It's breaking the silence. So most adult survivors kept their abuse secret in their childhood. And a lot, I mean, a lot of people who come through trees of hope, they haven't shared they're about 50 years old by the time they share. Um, Telling another human being about what happened to you is a powerful healing force that can dispel the shame of being a victim. Something to keep in mind is that you can, it can be very empowering for people to do this, but it's not for everybody. So I've shared this before, it was for me. I needed to do that, this is my life. I'm at the forefront of a sexual abuse ministry. So I have made the decision that I'm going to talk about it as much as I feel comfortable. And I'm going to share as much as I possibly can for the hope for the sake of the hope of somebody else finding that same healing that I did and finding the hope that I did. But that may not be you. And don't think that just don't compare your life to mine. Don't compare it to someone else who's just totally you know silent about it. Do what's good for you.
1: Although yeah, yeah, I do think though that I think part of the healing process is going to include telling someone. I think it's just not everyone is necessarily going to um speak about it in a more public way. You know, that's that's what but some people may. That it's it's I'm right with you, Nicole. Whatever is gonna be like your your journey in this is okay.
0: Right. And I'm just gonna reiterate that. I have found so much freedom in taking the risk of sharing my story more publicly on every time I get the opportunity. So, you know, I've shared it with my family. I shared it with my close, intimate friends. I shared it then with my family. Then I shared it on social media. Then I speak publicly. Um, Then I've done other things. And I have to just tell you that facilitating back facilitating a trees of hope small group. These are all steps. Maybe that's something you do. Maybe you don't do all the other steps I just said, but you facilitate a small group and that and that's something you take a risk on and you challenge yourself. But I I I cannot tell you how free I feel. It is the most liberating feeling that I feel unstoppable. I feel like I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, I could do anything now. I can nothing seems Nothing seems um, out of reach for me. And I know that sounds crazy. Like you just spoke up about a story, but yeah, it was a story that was keeping that one part of me silent for so long. And that part of me was affecting so many things that I didn't realize it was affecting. It It, it affected my, I used to say, I didn't want to speak in public. Well, why? Because there was a feeling of shame that I had that came from that one instance and multiple other instances in my life. And when I was able to work through the healthy feelings of, why do I feel shame and work through that, the why and the how to heal from that? I was able to now, when I'm standing in front of somebody or standing in front of a group of people, go, why, do, why would I feel shame being up here? Like, why? Because okay. I'm exposed, mm-hmm. but I'm not exposed in an unhealthy way. I'm exposed in an, in an interesting way where they, these people may learn something from me. And that could be a great thing for them. And sure. don't always go to the negatives. Like, think more positive about this.
1: Well, I think what you said is really important too. It's, it's um, understanding your story well enough to know what is healthy and unhealthy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's so key. And especially when someone's starting out in this process, sometimes you may not be able to tell yet what is healthy and unhealthy for you. A lot of times when you have, and this is not it for everyone, but for um, a lot of people that have gone through um, sexual abuse or any kind of abuse really, um, sometimes you what you determine to be healthy may be very unhealthy actually for you. It's so interesting. You may have so much insight for someone else about what's unhealthy, but for you, what you determine to be healthy is kind of unhealthy and what's um, unhealthy, you determine to be healthy. It's kind of mixed up, and that's sometimes because of what what you've gone through in the past and again, some coping and different things. Um, so no, being able to, really know what's good for you and not good for you, what you're actually comfortable with and not comfortable with, I think is just so important. So yeah, because you said it, you said it, you know, that it's healthy, you feel comfortable. And those are some of the statements you've said all along. And in um, what you're sharing, you're sharing that you're empowered, that you have choice. And again, a lot of times when someone's starting on this journey, they're just learning that they have power, that they have choice, because um, when you have been victimized, that's many times very opposite of what you believe to be true for you.
0: Yeah. It was taken from them. And so they feel like they don't have that.
1: Right. And yeah. so the regaining of that is a huge part of healing.
0: So true. That's really great. Yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, did I feel that way? Um, three years ago? No, I didn't. This has been a process.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so because, key.
0: yeah. So key. Uh, great, great. Uh, great feedback. Um, Okay. The next stage is understanding that it wasn't the victim's fault. So this is common, you know, for people to think that it is their fault, but there has to be a stage in which you come to where you understand and you believe with your whole heart, no matter what anybody else says, that it was not your fault. Um, and, and that you appropriately blame the abuser for their actions. You don't make excuses. You don't minimize, you don't forgive too soon. You don't do anything other than it was their fault. They took something from me, my innocence, and that falls on them, not me, them.
1: And I think this is a huge part of the healing process. I would say that this is one of a lot of these can be complicated. This is one of the ones that can be really complicated. Um, Dan Allender, in fact, talks about it in his book, um, healing the wounded heart. Mm. He's healing the wounded heart. Yeah. It's, so it's the second edition of the book. Cause he started out with, with uh, the wounded heart, and then it's healing the wounded heart. Yeah. So um, he talks about so many um, well-meaning therapists like myself, you know, telling people it was not your fault, right. Which is such a, true statement, but actually believing that can be a really complicated thing. And sometimes that does not take away, um, it doesn't take away the pain or the belief that it somehow was your fault right away. It takes time to process through that and to untangle some of that. Um, I know there's a really powerful scene in the movie, what movie I love. Um, I'm sure you know of It but it's basically, it's the therapist telling the client this exact statement. It wasn't your fault. Um, Goodwill hunting. Oh yeah. Ooh, right? oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Love that movie so much. And Robin Williams says at some point um, in their therapeutic process, him with Matt Damon, um, says to him, it wasn't your fault. And Matt Damon says back to him in that scene. Oh yeah, I know. I know. He said, no, it wasn't your fault. And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know." And he kept keep saying it to him. It was not your fault. It wasn't your fault. And so finally, Matt Damon was like, "Stop it," you know. And he's pushing him away, and he's resisting it. And finally, he breaks down because he heard it. He had someone safe tell him and make sure that he was really hearing that it Mm -hmm. was his fault. You know, that was his um, you know experience. And I think it was such a powerful um, display in a movie of really getting down to actually feeling that and believing that it wasn't your fault, which is, um, this can be hard to do. Not impossible, but hard.
0: Okay. Actually let's stop there because we are going to continue next time with some more stages. And I think they all kind of go together much better. This one was all about, um, the different stages of, you know, breaking the silence and how do you stop believing the false beliefs and believing that it happened and, and, uh, remembering and then, okay. And then next week, we're going to just continue talking about how do we continue to heal along this process. And one of the main topics that I'm going to really focus on is contacting and thinking about that child from within that. There's so much to talk about when people, I know you're, as a mental health counselor, we talk about our inner child and that healing from that inner child and knowing that it was a child who experienced sexual abuse. If you were sexually abused as a child, that to let that child be a child and to, to heal and to forgive that child and let them feel peace. <laughs> And um, I can't wait to dive into that one. And we have a lot more interesting content to get into. And so I'll see you next time. Is that cool with you?
1: Sounds good. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Me too. All
0: right, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And we will see you next time on episode 36. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.